Hi, my name is Eliane Goldstein, and you're listening to The Effect on Us. When I went downstairs to play with the kids with whom I'd played all my life, all of a sudden they're calling me a dirty little Jew and to walk in the sidewalk where I belonged. I had the courage to say, I have to get out. I was just so infused with the will to live that I said, I don't mind leaving my parents. Do you experience any pain from what they would do? Every single second of my life, and I will for the rest of my life. The Effect on Us podcast. Here's Eliane Goldstein. The Effect on Us is a podcast for people of all ages to learn about controversial subjects and the ties it has to people nowadays. In this season, the focus of the series is the Holocaust. You'll be able to hear some of the best survival stories I've ever heard from people that went through the Second World War and learn more about the effect the Holocaust had on people from Generation 1 to Generation 3. Did you know that between 1945 and 1985, 5,000 Nazi war criminals were executed and 10,000 were in prison for their crimes. In this episode, I'm talking to Jack Adler, who is liberated from a death march. My name is Jack Adler. I was born February 1, 1929. I'm 93 years young. What was your childhood like? Very normal childhood. Uh, I lived in a city by the name of Pabianice, Poland. My immediate family, number six, my parents, two sisters, brother and I. And we had a very normal childhood. I I, I knew how to play hooky from school and so on. How did the war start for you? It started, I was 10 years old, the first week of September 1939. The Nazis occupied my hometown, as they did eventually the whole of Poland. Immediately after the occupation took place, the Nazis posted posters throughout the city directed towards the Jewish population, which stated in part, that effective immediately, no Jewish person is allowed to step outdoors unless he or she wears two yellow stars of David attached to their clothing, one on the front, one on the back. Immediately, no Jewish child is allowed to attend any public schools, and all Jewish houses of worship must be shut down. And I remember watching the destruction of the synagogue when my family and I used to attend to being destroyed primarily by the local population, being stripped completely of its interior and converted into a stable for horses. And the beatings and tortures began almost immediately. Nazi officers, soldiers would enter Jewish neighborhoods and at random select men and women and demonize them stereotyped them, beat them for no reason whatsoever. And that was the beginning of my Holocaust years, which lasted five and a half years, of which I spent time in two ghettos, in three concentration camps, Auschwitz-Birkenau, a subcamp of Dachau, and Dachau itself. I was actually liberated on the death march out of Dachau on May 1, 1945, when the Nazis took out approximately 7,000 prisoners from Dachau, and the march was known as the Death March. 
We marched during the daylight hours. At night, we would sleep in the woods. But they would take a group of prisoners to the other side of the woods. They were given shovels in order to dig a big ditch. When the ditch was completed, they were ordered to line up around the perimeter of the ditch, and they were shot to death. When we were liberated while on the death march on May 1, 1945, by the United States 3rd and 7th Army, under the command of General Dwight David Eisenhower and George Patton, there were less than 4,000 of us left. I would not have made it one more day. I was very weak and sick. And those who were unable to continue the march were shot on the spot. Right after the liberation, within a day, I was hospitalized in a newly formed displaced persons camp in Fierenwald, Germany. My hospitalization lasted for about 90 days. I received excellent medical care. And after I was released from the hospital, I got a job in the displaced persons camp as a messenger. I delivered the mail to the people in camp, notices and so on. Can you tell me about the ghettos? Well, the ghetto in Pabianice, my town of birth, was an open ghetto, meaning there was no barbed wire surrounding it. However, we had to obey a very strict curfew within the ghetto. We could only move within the ghetto during daylight hours, cross the main street that divided the ghetto twice daily, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. The ghetto of Lodge was totally different. We were moved to the ghetto of Lodge in 1942. The ghetto of Lodge was a huge ghetto because they sent in Jewish people from small towns like my town into the ghetto of Lodge. In its peak, I would say the ghetto of Lodge had a population that exceeded 300,000. The ghetto of Lodge was surrounded by barbed wire. Every 10, 12 feet was an armed Nazi guard station to make sure that no one escapes. Occasionally, people tried to escape and they were shot on the spot. In the ghetto of Lodge, the Nazis set up all kinds of factories to assist them with the war machinery. I was assigned to work in a straw factory where we were ordered to manufacture straw shoes to be worn by the German soldiers who were then fighting the Soviet Union on the Eastern Front. The average daily food ration in the ghetto consisted of a slice of bread and a bowl of soup. The bowl of soup was given us at work, so those who were unable to work, who were sick or too weak to work, never received the second half of the food ration. People were dying by the thousands in the ghetto of Lodge from malnutrition and disease. People were taken out to extermination camps and to concentration camps by the thousands. When the ghetto of Lodge was being liquidated late summer in 1944, there were less than 68,000 people left. And that's when we were sent to Auschwitz from the ghetto of Lodge. How old were you when you were sent to Auschwitz? I came to Auschwitz, I was 15 years old. My little sister, who was 11, was taken to the guest chamber. When the war was over, I was the sole survivor of my immediate family of six, 
and one of five, including my extended family, that numbered at the beginning of the war, close to 80. What did you do? What did you do in the concentration camps? My father, when I was still with my father, when we first arrived to Auschwitz and sent to the sub camp of Dachau, we worked at the construction site where the Nazis were building underground hangars for airplanes. The two of us, my father and I, were assigned to carry bags of cement as the cement arrived by rail from the rail to the actual construction site back and forth 12 hours a day. So what was it like for you to live in the concentration camp? Well, uh, fortunately, I was with my father who encouraged me daily not to give up. He told me, don't give up. This will be over very soon. And that's what kept me going. And I think that's why I, I did survive. You mentioned that you lived in two other concentration camps. Three when of them. Auschwitz, from Auschwitz to a subcamp that was under the Dachau supervision, and then to Dachau itself. Were the concentration camps different in any way? They were, to us, they were all the same. They may have looked differently, they may were built differently, but they were all alike. It was, <clears throat> it was leaving, living in evil on a daily basis. Did you work in the other camps too? In Auschwitz, we were only for about a week. We went, my father and I went through daily selection processes where they selected prisoners who are able to, or whom they viewed able bodied to send to various concentration camps to work. After a week, my father and I were sent to the sub camp of Dachau. Where did you sleep? Well, in in Auschwitz, we slept on clay floors. In the subcamp of Dachau, they had like a V-shaped roof. You walked down a couple steps into the barrack. There was a walkway in the center, and there were like two shelves, wood shelves, one on each side, where 50 prisoners would sleep on each side. In Dachau, we had bunk beds. And where did you go to the bathroom? Well, there was a, a huge bathroom accommodating many people. And there was on the floor, there were holes on the floor. And that's what identified each toilet, if you will. So you said that you would get, that you would go to selection every week. Did you know what was going on? Well, the older people knew what was on, and of course, my father wouldn't share with me or my my siblings, but they knew what went on. I didn't realize it until we were in the ghettos, and of course, subsequently in the camps. So, when did your family pass away? Well, my mother and older brother died in the ghetto of Pabianice. My young sister died in Auschwitz in the gas chamber. My father died in Dachau, and my older sister died in the same camp. Did you hear the diary of Anne Frank? No. You didn't hear the diary of the Anne? Well, in... I, I know what it is. I haven't read it. That's okay. My older sister died in the same camp, Anne Frank, at Bergen-Belsen. When did you go on the death march? The late... Part of April 1945. 
How long did it last? Four days. So what was it like? Well, it was horrible because we didn't know who is dying next. The, the intent was to kill those people who could be witnesses against to what they did nightly. So as I indicated, we started out almost 7,000 and we were freed. Four days later, there were less than 4,000 of us left. Another few days, there would be no one left. Did you, did you ever think of giving up, like of stopping? Well, as I indicated, my father encouraged me to go on this will end soon, and that would kept me going. Many people did commit suicide. What was it like to be liberated for you? Well, I was, as I indicated, I was taken within a day to the hospital. I barely made it. When I was checked in the hospital, I weighed a little close to 70 pounds. And they, I received excellent medical care. They built me up and whatever was wrong with me, they cured. I was three months in the hospital. Did you ever find, you said that you had five relatives that survived? Well, I in, uh, when I came to the United States, I was placed in a foster home in Chicago, Illinois. And when I got married, I moved to the city of Skokie, Illinois, and there were quite a few survivors there who were with me in camp and in ghetto. How old were you when the war ended? 16. And what did it feel like for you to be liberated? Well, we, it was very it was very early in the morning. As I indicated, we slept in the woods on the ground. And I could hear a lot of noise, people talking, and that was a no-no. They wouldn't allow us to communicate with each other like that. So I crawled over where the sound came from, and I actually told the prisoners, what's going on? And they say, the SS, the killers left. And a few minutes later, military vehicles arrived. And when they saw us, stopped. And I did never see an, an American military vehicle. And one of the officers got on the top of a Jeep, the hood of a Jeep with a bullhorn, and announced, this is the United States Army. You are all free. That's how we knew we were liberated. What did you do after that? Did you believe them? Well, I, I of, of course, they were, I met them, get, got, came down, many were young. Young soldiers who couldn't believe what they encountered, people barely alive. And they did whatever they could. They gave us, helped us with the rations that they had and so on. And as I indicated, I was hospitalized almost immediately. When I came to the United States and I indicated I was placed in a very wonderful foster home, I first attended night school to learn the language better. I went to high school, college, and I proudly served in the United States Army during the Korean conflict. I got married. I had two wonderful children, a son and a daughter, four grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. And if Hitler knew, he would commit suicide all over again. <laughs> Did you ever speak about what happened when you first got to America? 
not immediately. I, I, I didn't want to talk to my children about it, the evil, you know. But when they finished high school, I, I've been doing this now. I've been speaking. Uh, my son keeps that more or less. I speak to our military throughout the country. I speak to civic groups, church groups, and mostly students like you, high school and middle school. So I have spoken since 1992 to over a million and a half people. And I will continue doing it as long as I can. That's the goal. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know what's going on in Ukraine as I speak. There are evil beings, unfortunate. You know, there is the population on this planet number 7.9 billion with a B. 2.6 billion are Christian. 1.6 billion are Muslim. Do you know how many Jewish people are represented in the 7.9 billion? 2%. Two tenths of 1%, 15 million. And when I speak, I tell him, many of those hate mongers are actually jealous of the Jewish people, even though we represent two-tenths of one percent of the world population. We are the recipients of over 20 percent of the Nobel Prizes. And I tell the students something I think you would understand at your age is Dr. Jonas Salk, who discovered the anti-polio vaccine and refused to patent it so everyone on the planet has access to it, saving millions of lives every year from this crippling disease. I said, the hate mongers don't tell you this, but they do tell, teach you their hateful propaganda. What made you want to start talking? I think I ask myself first, why did I survive, not other members of my family? I convinced myself, not others, that I am the voice of those six million who perished, who would want the world to know what happened when we tolerated racism, bigotry, anti-Semitism. When the, the Jewish people were being slaughtered with some minor exceptions, the world was sick, S-I-C, silent, indifferent, complacent. And that's what happened. Have you ever been to the March of the Living? I've been, to, as I said, I spoke in Auschwitz several times for the Los Angeles March of the Living chapter. What was it like to go back to Auschwitz? It, it was sad because that's when my little sister perished. But then our, the students with the March of the Living come from all over the, the from all over the world. And in our group, there were maybe about fifteen thousand students from different countries, and they come there because they want to see where the evil took place and hear from someone who lived through it. So I'm very proud I can do it and educate the young. If there was one thing that you could do differently, what would you do? Well, humanity, in my opinion, humanity will continue to destroy each other, as we see as I speak in many parts of the world, until humanity will allow itself to be guided by the golden rule, do unto others, as you like them to do unto you. 
Until then, we're going to destroy each other, I'm sorry to say, as we are as I speak in many parts. Is there a message that you would like to give to the people in Ukraine right now? Don't give up hope. There are decent people in the world. Unfortunately, it should have never, like in Ukraine, it should have never started in the first place. You have a Hitler, you have a Putin, you have uh, Ayatollah Khomeini in uh, Iran. There are hate mongers around, but those leaders sh- leaders of nations should be unifiers, not divisive. And is there a message that you would like to give the people of today or the people of the future? Respect um, each other. You don't have to like me. You don't have to love me. Just remember the golden rule. Treat me the way you like to be treated. That is very, very, very smart. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to add that we haven't gone over that you would like to go over? Well, I appreciate young like you. You are, what, 15? 13. 13? Well, I'm turning 14 soon, so. So you just had a bat mitzvah. Yes. Mazel tov. Thank you. I like to say, you know, when I speak to the young students, I impress to them. You, I tell them, represent the future of this great nation of ours. Don't tolerate any kind of racism, bigotry, or anti-Semitism. Anyway, so thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. I admire you for wanting to learn and pass it down to your friends and tell them to respect each other. And in order to have a better world for every human being on this planet, follow the golden rule. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you. Good luck to you. Isn't it so inspirational that the only thing keeping Jack alive were the words that his father told him? Join me next time for a very special Yoma Shoah episode. If you liked this episode, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. This is Eliane Goldstein. Tune in next time to The Effect on Us. And remember... History will not repeat itself. Bye.